The content discussed in this episode is for educational or informative purposes only and should not be replaced by individualized professional consultations or professional medical advice. Hey guys, I'm Tasha. Hey listeners, this is Guni. And you're tuned in to Dutch of the Podcast, where we chat and explore all things on integrative medicine. So we have a special guest today with us. He is a trailblazer and one of the pioneers who brought Ayurveda to the UK in the 70s. He is a qualified Ayurvedic physician, an acupuncturist and marmapuncturist who started his career at the Tiringham Clinic, which is a British-based residential complementary medicine clinic. He's also the founding president of the Ayurvedic Medical Association UK, British Marmapuncture Association and British Institute of Marmapuncture. So a very warm welcome to you, Dr. Gudagama. Thank you so much for coming on to our show, Dotif, the podcast. Thank you very much for our invitation. Hi, Guni. <laughs> it's nice to see you through Zoom as usual, Dasha. <laughs> um, so maybe a good place to start would be how you came into Ayurveda and what sparked your interest in it. So it is always from my childhood interest to be involved in healing profession. And to become a doctor or physician, uh, the journey starts 1965. I joined the faculty of uh, Ayurveda in Colombo. And mm-hmm. it, it was very interesting faculty because there we learned uh, both Western medicine and Ayurvedic medicine that are the mainline treatment modality uh, available right. today. And then after my qualification, I was selected by the government as a first uh, Ayurvedic doctor to be trained in Panchakarma treatments. Panchakarma treatment is a method of purification is internal and external. Mm-hmm. Internal, you give oral medications to detox the body. Mm-hmm. And okay. external, we do abhyanga, uh, the oil massage, or steam bath, and so on. You break down the toxins. Mm-hmm. And it's a complete purification. That is what we call panchakarma. So mm-hmm. I was trained one year specially for panchakarma. And then, of course, after my full training, I went into a private practice in Sri Lanka in a very remote area uh, where we had about population about 25,000 people and there, there was no doctor available in that region. So then I was forced to practice Western medicine because of the need of Western medicine quite great in a remote area. So I was practicing Western medicine uh, for nearly three years in Sri Lanka. The, the reason why I went to acupuncture was that I had a patient suffering from a condition called trigeminal neuralgia, that is suicidal pain across the face. And I was using injections, all those painkillers and patients getting nowhere. And then I knew he was getting very, very desperate, depressed, and he was quite negative at the time. Luckily, mm-hmm. I heard this acupuncture set up in Columbia General Hospital, and I wrote a letter to Professor Anton Jayasore. And this man went for treatment for three months and then he came back to me and in our tradition, he knelt down in front of me, saving his life. So in fact, fact, that was the first eye-opener for me as a practitioner. Mm -hmm. So I must learn this science. So that is why I became the first student in Sri Lanka to learn acupuncture. And I did a one-year course under Anton Jayasiri while I was practicing. And also we used to do a lot of uh, surgical procedures using acupuncture instead of anesthesia. We, we, we can numb the patient using acupuncture. Wow. And then uh, we had a few surgical procedures like uh, hysterectomy, opening up the stomach and then removing the womb and uh, thyroidectomies and few dental extractions. Whilst the patient was quite conscious, so therefore it is 
the enormous amount of capability and capacity acupuncture being very well demonstrated. I have added that as another therapeutic tool to my existing practice. So I carried out uh, Western medicine together with acupuncture. Since I started acupuncture side of it, I have withdrawn almost all the painkillers from the patients. Over 90% of our patients are suffering from pain. Mm -hmm. So it was a very good tool to control the pain. Uh, Dr. Gurugama, how did you come to the UK? Uh, Dr. Uh, Sidney Rosnil, he heard of our acupuncture practices in Sri Lanka. And then he came and he observed how we were using acupuncture as a therapeutic model. And then uh, as a result, immediately he invited me to come and work in his residential clinic in Newport Pagnell in Milton Keynes. And uh, so I became a consultant. Actually, first I already doctored where I UK on a work permit. So impressed with the clinic. It was a huge uh, investment uh, by Sir Maurice Lang, ran as a registered charity, accommodating about 100 living in patients. Later on, I became a director of the clinic. Uh, so that is how I set up the first Ayurvedic Medical Center within that institute. Um, yeah. What are some of the, the challenges you faced as you set up the clinic or you set up Ayurveda being the pioneer? It was quite challenging and also the depressing time for me because in 1979, Ayurveda was unheard of in this part of the world. So yeah. even if you ask a medical doctor, what is Ayurveda, they know nothing about it. So yeah. it, is, it is how the, the world communication in, in this Western world has been completely blocked away from the Eastern sciences. So mm. therefore, I was quite depressed because I didn't know how to get my journey started. Although I set up a clinic for, for residential purpose, uh, introducing Ayurveda as a therapeutic modality. But uh, from when you go to the general public and ask about Ayurveda, it's not known. Mm. So it was a challenging time. Then I thought, what what can I do to mm. uh, to promote Ayurveda within the community? That is where uh, 22 years ago I have written this book called Ayurveda, Handbook of Ayurveda. What I have done was that I have diluted the technicality of the Ayurveda science into the layman's language. So therefore, yeah. it's a very good bedside reading, like uh, you can start from the beginning to end uh, in one right. day. Right? So therefore, mm -hmm. it became hugely popular and it's available in many translations around the world. So I'm very happy mm -hmm. that, you know, the word of Ayurveda and its science and its base being passed down to the general population. So gradually, uh, I've been involved in seminars, conferences, organizing public events in the past 40 years in various locations to popularize Ayurveda. Mm. You're definitely a pioneer in like, you know, you spread the message for the community in the UK. So there's, there's so much to celebrate for that because I don't think, you know, they would have been able to get access to this information uh, early on. Now, we had uh, uh, quite uh, interesting leading figures in this country, UK, particularly, I must mention, Prince Charles, Prince of Wales. You know, he was very keen and supportive for Ayurveda and Indian sciences. And uh, I met him a couple of times and he's a chairperson of the King's Fund here. And also he, was, he had his own organization called Prince of Wales Foundation for Integrated Health. He has mm -hmm. given us a lot of support to get Ayurveda on board and get Ayurveda popularized. I, I was a keynote speaker at the King's mm -hmm. Fund a seminar on Ayurveda organized by his own, own organization. That's great. That's really useful to have someone on your side um, that, that supports it of that stature. Yeah. How, how have you seen 
Ayurveda change over time in the UK from the moment you arrive and being, you know, the first today? Yes, Duni, it is very interesting. Today, I'm very happy about my journey. And uh, firstly, I founded the Ayurvedic Medical Association UK. That was mm-hmm. about nearly 30 years ago. I managed mm-hmm. to get nearly 60 qualified Ayurvedic doctors who have done a six-year degrees or diplomas from Sri Lanka or India or Pakistan. They came mm-hmm. over here and they were living here and they were not practicing in a way. So therefore, I, I have provided the platform and laid the initial stones for them to come forward. And I mm-hmm. have arranged that organization and then also... I have co-founded with my colleague, Dr. Maruf Atik, the College of Ayurveda in UK about 25 years ago. And mm-hmm. because we, I have recognized we cannot depend on graduates from abroad all the time. We need to produce the already qualified personalities in UK within this ground. So that was one of the aim of popularizing Ayurveda is to create an educational institute in UK, which allow British public to join and learn easily. And how did the regulatory landscape change over time in the UK? How it changed was that British government and the British public wanted these professions, particularly the herbal medical sector, to be regulated by state. At the same time, so that uh, we have very strong uh, herbal lobby here in UK, National uh, Institute of Herbal Practitioners and various Western herbals. And then, of course, the Chinese herbal sector came up and then Ayurvedic herbal sector came up and set up. So therefore, jointly, we together made some representations where there were three parliamentary select committees actually appointed during this last 35 years period. And all those committees were aimed at how to regulate the herbal medical sector in UK. So we were pressing for statutory regulation uh, and then government was quite reluctant and in the end, final result was what the last committee appointed, which I gave evidence on for before three committees. And it was uh, left for self-regulatory model. So that is what we are following. And the government recommended actually uh, one unified organization to represent Ayurvedic profession. So that was my mission last five years. I was trying and collaborating and cooperating with all the Ayurvedic practitioner organizations within UK uh, to mm-hmm. get them together into, under the one round table. So I've been providing platform for that. And so finally, we have founded the British Ayurvedic Medical Council. Uh, so therefore, during all these processes, the public was quite aware of it and a lot of uh, communication, a lot of publications taken place in UK, a lot of writings in local paper. Uh, the thing in the West is that we need to give a confidence. The public mm-hmm. confidence is important in any profession. And also mm-hmm. we need to be seen, transparency of the organization and also the professionalism to be maintained by the organization. So those mm-hmm. are the works we have done uh, in setting up the British Ayurvedic Medical Council. Not only that, uh, I have set up the British Marmapuncture Association and British Institute of Marmapuncture during my time here. So all these organizations have been well set now. Um, for With regards to Marmapuncture and acupuncture, what's the difference? That is where the the story began, another story, because uh, (laughs) I have studied Vedic medicine in Colombo, of course, Mm -hmm. and then in one of the Bibles in Ayurveda is the Charaka Samhita and Susruta Samhita. So 3,000 years old textbooks very well explain 107 marma or vital Mm -hmm. points. It's used as marma. This is a 3,000 years old word, marma. Marma Mm -hmm. is the vital points which exist within the body in various 
particulate running around on skin surface. So there were 107 marma points described in Charaka Samhita. But the thing is, it's been recommended for therapeutic purpose. But no Ayurvedic practitioner or no Ayurvedic Institute in India or in India or Sri Lanka been actively in, engaged or involved in designing a course to teach this science as another therapeutic modality. Because Ayurveda is a number of therapeutic modalities, not only one, one area we are looking at. The marma is another modality described in Charaka Sanghita and very well explained in Ayurvedic medicine, but nobody taught this science to the medical Ayurvedic students throughout the world. Mm-hmm. So since I learned modern acupuncture came from China, I have done a lot of research work on this subject. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, when I wrote my book, after all my research work, I have realized that this is a true science. Acupuncture went to China from India, historically, particularly when the Mughals invaded and ruled India. Uh, mm-hmm. At the time, the cultural heritage had left India for other countries. One of the countries was China. It went as far as Japan, mm-hmm. but particularly through the Buddhist route. When you look at the history, Buddhist monks were trained as physicians and trained as a martial art experts. They had to travel through difficult conditions, so they learned the self-defense as well as the healing arts. One of the, mm-hmm. the healing arts was the Marma Chikitsa. Marma Chikitsa chapter went to China, and we thank China for developing Marma as an acupuncture and developing it as a true science. So this went all around the world. Since uh, Henry Kissinger, the State Secretary of uh, United States, visited China first time, the door opened to the Western world. China was opened during Mao Zedong's time. So this is mm-hmm. about nearly 45 years ago. So with my research work, now it is worldwide known within the Ayurvedic community. My first mm-hmm. graduates, they graduated in House of Lords here in the UK. And during the graduation ceremony, the Indian High Commission also present at the time. And I mentioned that I'm bringing back the olden days glory back to India as a marma function. Awesome. That's so, that's so interesting to have that history, to know that how it moved across borders and giving it its rightful space to be appreciated and, and uh, used. In this journey, I'm not alone here. Dr. Frank Cross from Australia... He mm-hmm. ran an Ayurvedic Institute in Australia, and then he mentioned about the value of Marma Chikitsa introducing. And then mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Vasant Ladd from America, USA. So mm-hmm. there are few books written by various scholars during that time. So therefore, it is a well-established science now. Um, so could you draw parallels between acupuncture and marma puncture? The main difference is there is the 107 marma points missing in acupuncture. And the main seven chakras of the body is missing. This is energy medicine. Energy medicine is that uh, you are manipulating body and body's energies, pranic energy or chi energy using a needle stimulating a point. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. all those point patterns very well explained in Chinese acupuncture. Mm -hmm. And and, Mm -hmm. and there are therapeutic indications been very well explained. Then the marma puncture, 117 marma points, and they are existing independently without any connection to any meridians or energy system. They are sitting independently within the body, and we have recognized 70 of them are located within acupuncture points, within the meridian system. So that is the entry point into the whole body energy system. So when you do marma chikitsa into those 70 points, that triggers the whole body action. 
uh, it's like uh, you are tapping the main electrical system. So what is the main electrical system in the body is the seven chakras. Seven chakras absorb universal energies according mm-hmm. to our environment. Our body is a creation in this world. And so mm-hmm. therefore we are part of it. We are part of a built environment. So therefore we've been influenced by external factors. And the main sources are these seven chakras. And from seven chakras, like transformers, there are 117 marma points. And out of mm-hmm. 117 marma points, 70 of them are discovered. They are sitting on acupuncture meridian points. So th- those are the points accessed to the internal organs. Mm-hmm. So it's well laid and well set. That's the difference. So when you learn acupuncture, you learn only acupuncture and meridian system. No mentioning about the 117 marma points and chakra points. So I have combined these two systems together. And as a unique method, as marma puncture, that is a complete science. So um, if I understand correctly, are you saying that what you're adding on top of what acupuncture is saying is that there's like the big picture, which is the chakra points and then there are additional points within the acupuncture points that are not mentioned and that are access to different access points energetically speaking to the body yeah they are influencing points so i would say highly powerful and more vital points say acupuncture points the third level of energy in the body the first level chakra second level 117 marma points and then the Third level is the acupuncture point. Right. So I have seen the limitation in practice. When you practice on certain conditions, acupuncture points alone, you may get 30% success. But if you combine with marma points, you get 75% success. Or 100. Right. Yeah, so that's the difference. So the success okay. rate is higher. Yeah. Um, so I guess from there, like what could be interesting to know is how do you think it can be adopted in the mainstream healthcare system? Yes, Tasha, you are right on the spot on that question because that is a question now. Prince Charles, the leading figure, actually he wants to see one day this I read the, in the National Health Service in UK. So following his advice and guidance, we have laid the organizational side very strongly now. So that is the first step towards the entry to the National Health Service. Once yeah. you have a self-regulatory model, then what will have, it will become a statutory model. Once it becomes mm-hmm. a statutory model, then the state will take over. And once we have enough graduates in UK through these institutes, colleges, which we have, we have accredited by the British Ayurveda Medical Council. And once you have enough graduates, it will become a possibility within the NHS. Look at the story of acupuncture, for example. Now acupuncture is well established and well recognized. During my time, it used to be a backstreet practice. Now, mm-hmm. it, here, even in Milton Keynes, we have a contract with the oh. NHS Trust that acupuncture is being offered to the patients. Mm-hmm. So that is wow. the, the step in the future we are hoping once the profession gets the house in order, so that will lead to the recognition of Ayurveda in UK. There's no doubt about it. Right. So regulatory foundation and then statutory foundation. In supporting that, we have created another organization called uh, All-Party Parliamentary Group for Indian Health Sciences because we need some political support. So together, we have about nearly 35 MPs on the British government signed uh, for this organization and we are one way we are leading a political platform uh, towards recognition of Ayurveda or Indian health sciences and on the other way we are influencing uh, government. I've been the first uh, appointee by the British government medicine and healthcare regulatory authority. I've been working 15 years as advisor on herbal medicine, especially on Ayurvedic medical side. Work, work as a the member of the herbal medicine advisory committee with the Department of Health and MHRA. 
I was wondering because you you have this mm-hmm. this heritage you're bringing to England with Ayurveda. What is it about Ayurveda that you are so passionate about, and why do you believe that if there was more Ayurveda in people's healthcare system, um, they would potentially be um, more healthier? Or what is it about Ayurveda that you think people can use in their daily healthcare? It's an interesting question, Gunen. So Ayurveda has a wide variety of therapeutic modalities to prevent the illness treat the illness, and maintain the illness. The prevention is a major part of Ayurveda. So if I draw a comparison to Western medicine, Western surgical sciences, fantastic, 100% I agree with. But Western medical treatment, when the patients, what they're getting from the GPs, one way it's good, it relieves the symptom at the time. Mm-hmm. But when you come into a cure, Western medicine is very limited in curing diseases. Why? Because the problem is gone too far, too deep within the human body. Mm. So it becomes mm. chronic. When a patient goes to a doctor, that means you display clinical symptoms. Then the mm. doctor diagnoses. That, that pathological process is a long process. It is hidden within the body. Abnormal patterns develop every day and then it comes to the surface one day. At mm. that point, it's helpless. Mm. So, so then you mm. talk about the maintenance and management of the condition. Right. Beauty of Ayurveda. You go and see an Irish doctor, whether you check the pulse or you check your lifestyle, you talk many things, not five minutes or 10 minutes of consultation. You talk many aspects of life and then go deeply into the, uh, the lifestyles and then find out what are the those imbalances in the body. So, mm-hmm. and what is our birth? What property we born with? Right. And everyone is unique. You, Tasha, you, uh, Guni, and me, we are or anatomically, physiologically the same, but functionally we are different. So therefore, yeah. that difference is very well recognized in Ayurveda. And then you need to design a unique treatment modality mm-hmm. for each of them. So that is a difference I see uh, in Ayurveda. You, you address, the, for example, the, why they say Panchakarma every season for everybody. It's a prevention. Mm-hmm. You have prepared the body for the next season. But I, I think one point that, uh, because we were talking with Dr. Atik about this as well. Um, what do you think... Ayurveda is ready to do in the UK with regards to those three points, which is prevention, uh, uh, illness treatment, and management. Do you think that at this current time, Ayurveda in the UK can cover with the knowledge and the different practitioners that are here, can they cover these three three areas? Uh, They can cover these three areas, but the thing is, the question is that it is not widely available to the British public. So availability and because it is expensive too. So therefore, access to Ayurveda is not freely available. So that is why we need to address this issue in the future. On long run, uh, that uh, because we are living in a commercial world, Mm. Mm -hmm. so everything down to money. So therefore, uh, drug companies, are they are making huge profits. And when you really look at the inside stories of drug companies, you know, they are making drugs to manage the diseases. Right. They are not producing drugs to cure the diseases. Mm-hmm. So once you cure, yeah. you find a, dip, a medicine to cure the dip, uh, disease, that means there is no market. Mm. Um, and yeah. so, and so, but the thing is that, do you believe that the, um, is there enough practitioners in, in the UK to be able to have that knowledge to treat the illness like the Western side? Yes, uh, they need uh, knowledge. Uh, they are knowledgeable. Once you graduate 
from Ayurvedic College or Ayurvedic Colleges in India or Sri Lanka, then they are qualified to manage the illnesses or treat the illnesses or cure the illnesses or guide the patients to prevention, right? So they are equipped, fully equipped with that. So, but the time limitation is very important because you need to spend time with the patient. So mm. I spend at least minimum, minimum half an hour or sometimes one hour in a yeah. consultation. Mm -hmm. So mm. there you get, you need to understand the whole person Without understanding whole person, you can't prescribe or you can't design any treatment plan. So that yeah. is. Yeah, but what I've I've noticed in the UK or in the West is that um, people, when they look at Ayurveda, they might come across uh, therapists or coach Ayurvedic coach for nutrition, and I think there is a misconception about what they can actually provide in terms of healthcare. Yeah. This is what uh, the regulation come into, actually, the, your question leading to that. Because uh, now, don't forget, because of the uh, Western popularity, now we are gaining popularity every day for Indian health sciences, Indian health sciences, mm -hmm. from yoga to the meditation to the everything. So it's yeah. gaining more and more popular. Mm -hmm. So when uh, any science become more and more popular, that leading to uh, malpractice in a way, right? So... Right. Uh, that is why we need a regulatory body. So, for example, there are yoga, yoga, uh, there are so many yoga postures, asanas, even some things like a goat yoga and things like yeah. that. <laughs> you, you read my mind. <laughs> I was like, there are people who are doing goat yoga, which is really offensive, you know. What do they do? <laughs> what do we do? So this is what we're talking about, the regulation, right? And not only that, I read also the same. There are so many, you can't blame the Western public. People are going into India or Sri Lanka. They are learning I read under various institutes, various yeah. individuals. It's the same same way here in the UK too. In the, when I it was eye opener when one day a lady came to me and said, Can you teach me I read? So the the question is so simple to her to ask me. Yeah, yeah. But I spent six years learning that. So mm. how do you? They wouldn't go to like a medical doctor and say like, "Hey, can you teach me to do a heart surgery?" There's no way they would do that, right? There's no yeah. quick, no quick route to this, you know. So that is why we set up the college with the uh, syllabuses approved by the Indian Health Council and Sri Lanka. So therefore, we need to we can't dilute any science in in such a way because of the popularity. We need to protect the system. That is the protection is my priority. That's mm -hmm. why when I set up the college also, now we know where we are going to dilute the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So we need to yeah. have a standard curriculum taught to the students, proper thing. So, yeah. there are, so there are so many institutes here, even in operating in UK also, uh, nowhere near to our College of Higher the curriculum. So therefore, yeah. we need to be very careful where people are trying to learn things very quickly uh, of, of, because of the public interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you mm -hmm. can't learn them. So we need to protect the profession very well. You know, this is our duty. Yeah. Yep. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much, yeah. Dr. Okay. for the interview today. Thank you very much, Tasha. And thank you very much, Kune. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. We hope to have more fruitful conversations like these uh, in future. <laughs> thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and select that follow or subscribe button. For now, stay safe and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.